Welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Welcome to a special bonus book episode where we have the incredible opportunity to chat to Holly Bourne all about her new novel, You Could Be So Pretty. In Belle and Joni's world, there are two options for girls. One, follow the rules of the doctrine, be a pretty, apply your mask, win admiration and work hard to be crowned at the ceremony, be a Belle. Or two, fight the rules, be an objectionable, leave your face bare, be sneered at and work hard to one day escape, be a Joni. But maybe there's a third option, change the rules, reclaim your power. If you could, what would you choose? Holly Bourne is a British writer of young adult and contemporary fiction. Holly started her career as a news journalist, where she was nominated for Best Print Journalist of the Year. She then spent six years working as an editor, a relationships advisor and general agony aunt for a youth charity. Inspired by what she saw, she began writing teen fiction, including the award-winning Spinster Club series, which helps to educate teenagers about feminism. As well as this series, Holly has written 11 other novels, a mix of young adult and adult fiction exploring mental health, societal pressures on women, relationships and body image. Alongside writing her best-selling books, Holly has helped create online apps that teach young people about sexual consent, works with Women's Aid to spread awareness of abusive relationships and runs Rethink's Mental Health Book Club. As Dolly Alderson puts it, Holly Bourne is doing God's work. To talk about her latest young adult novel, You Could Be So Pretty, we have Holly with us today. So welcome to A Power of Bookends. Oh, thank you so much for having me, but maybe blush. <laughs> I told you. I like, this bio is not ending. Honestly, you're a woman of many talents. 100%. I've been in this game a long time. I'm just old. <laughs> Honestly, I was writing this bio out and I was like, oh my God, I am actually like in awe of everything that you've done. Yeah. It's so incredible. You know, a lot of people can write about these really huge, important topics, but not many can put these things into practice. And you're clearly doing, you know, a lot of incredible, powerful work that I imagine is helping so many young people out there. So thank you for, for doing all of that. It's it's incredible. Well, thank you so much. I don't know. I would just like to me, it's just a lot of time sitting on my ass in my <laughs> I know. It doesn't sound like it. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you read that out, it's like that is just many hours, many hours <laughs> on my ass in pajamas. Like that, it's like so it sounds really impressive. I love out. it. <laughs> Behind the scenes, what needs to be done in order to achieve is so unimpressive to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Please keep sitting on your ass because you're yeah. early doing wonders. Brilliant. <laughs> we always love to start our podcast by asking my favorite question. Which is, what are you currently reading? I've literally just finished it yesterday and it's, I'm a fan. It's deranged. I, like, <laughs> I, I finished it maybe two weeks ago and I, I just, I loved it so much. It's just, I don't know, like she is just balmy, like the narrator. <laughs> it's like a woman who's basically having an affair with a married man who's also having an affair with lots of other women mm-hmm. and she's like, obsessed with one of the other women and it's basically her just like deep stalking this woman's instagram account and it's all about like and that's just all it is it's just her just like hanging around outside it's just it's so uncomfortable to read because yeah. it's called free soloing where you go really deep in somebody's instagram and you're like what if i accidentally click like somebody's like oh my God, you're hugging out in my 2015 we've all free soloed 100 <laughs> yeah. percent 
Yeah. To, like the way she's put it into words, and it's all written in like these really short chapters, like their Instagram. But, and it's so good on like abuse and class and race and parasocial relationships. It's so good. So good. Yeah. And it's so short as well. Like you could easily inhale that in a day. Like it's. Thank you, Ned. Yeah, I'm a new ish mum. So short books are like my jam. Right I can imagine. I feel like I've achieved reading a book, you know, because it takes about five times as long as it used to. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I would also really recommend, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast yet, but Sarah Pascoe and Carrie Ad Lloyd's new podcast is called like the Weirdo Book Club or something like that. And uh, they have a an episode dedicated to I'm a fan. And I think it's with, is it Nish Kumar? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And they have an episode yes. with, with him and it's great. Like, it's so oh, good. Oh. And they well, put a deep dive into it. Sorted. I love yeah. <laughs> Stomp around the block. It's so good. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, I I loved it so much. Lydia, you weren't as much of a fan though, were you? Well, no, not as much of a fan. Only because I think the format for me I struggled with. Mm. I think I just, I always kind of, it felt like it could be just a series of essays. It was making some fantastic points. And I just sort of wanted to like learn more about it and she didn't give me enough I think but that's because I'm greedy and I like lots of information yeah it was like it's also very literary and I'm like yeah not I'm like quite a commercial writer and it's like it's you know it's a choice you make and it's a training you have so like I always read it with like complete jealousy that they yeah. <laughs> you know write such perfect sentences and, and stuff but there's also just part like the commercial writer in me is like just wants to get my red pen out and be like well that's an unnecessary description and that's going on <laughs> Yes. And it's so I always have that when I write literary fiction. I have this mixture of like, I wish I could write like that. <laughs> so like, right, where's my red pen? <laughs> on, on the road. So yeah, then, yeah, I don't tend to read much literary fiction, but I think the fact that this was short really helps. I was like, I read a literary book and it only took me. It's great. It is, it is great. And I think it'd be a great, like, I don't know, Hannah, whether you agree with this, but like a great train book. Like a commuting book, you know, like yeah. if you're on the way to work and you think, oh, I need a really good read that I can dip in and out of. It's great for that. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, I agree. Um, now, I think it's time for us to get on to your book, which we're very excited to chat about. So firstly, to start off with, I want to find out about the inspiration for You Could Be So Pretty. At times, it reads like a dystopian novel, but so much of it can be applied to a, a reality that women and girls face globally and I would love to know where this story started for you. It was, yeah, it was, the plan was always from the start because I've only ever written like contemporary teen fiction, you know, so about real life teenagers or living in the real ones. This to me is no different. It's just I chose to write it using dystopic language to sort of make a quite heavy handed point, which is I think the pressure that young girls are under is this so big. Yeah. And like in the post, and so I, when I kind of pitched it to my editor, I was like, we kind of pitched ourselves like it's like the beauty myth for teenagers, but it also deals a lot with like porn culture and the sort of normalization of sexual violence and education and stuff. And I was like, oh, I was like, I want to write it as a dystopia, but it's not. And one of the things that was really interesting slash depressing about the editor experiences sometimes be like oh I, I actually don't think things are this bad <laughs> you know considering they knew that and I, I would be like really sorry and I'd have to send over some research and they were just like oh god <laughs> so it was 
we, it was really fun to use the generic conventions of dystopia and to come up with all the different language and the words. So it was using the generic conventions, you know, so like some sort of like romance and like this kind of wider framework and language changes and this kind of small cast in a sense of sense, like suffocation and like the world building. But it sadly could be everyday life for most teenage girls, you know, in the Western world. So it's a bit of a bummer. <laughs> How do you decide when something you're writing is going to be better suited to young adult audiences? It all to do with like the storyline, I guess, or all the themes. And um, I think I spent sort of, as you said in your intro, I spent like five years working with young people mm-hmm. and which was just, you know, gave me huge insight into like the youth experience as it were. And like, there's so much to write about. But I also do quite enjoy writing adult because you can just get away with a bit more in adult fit you don't have to worry so much about safeguarding although I do worry about safeguarding in my adult fiction too but in my teen fiction like we hire in a psychotherapist to go through each line to make sure that everything is as safe as possible to not put things on page when they don't need to be on page you know that sort of stuff whereas with adult you kind of you know can trust adult readers to read the trigger warning at the start of a book and you know, maybe look after themselves a bit better and you can have more unlikable characters I think in adult fiction teens are a little bit more like why is this person not very nice who gets not <laughs> but yeah it, it just it's just weird the, to me the process of deciding to write a novel there's I wish I knew and understood how and why I do it because I always panic what if it this idea this strike of inspiration ever happens again because it is quite magical and like the idea lands in my head and I know if it's an adult book and I know what it's about and I've got the the first line that's like where's my like strike of inspiration it's like the opening line and so yeah for you could be so pretty it was like I'll never forget the sound of my mother's scream and you kind of instantly know it's teen then and so yeah the book decides for me if that sounds wanky just no, not at all. Is what you tell me? Hey, I'll write you. Thanks for giving me this idea. <laughs> I didn't realise that there was a process where you bring somebody in to to check things in terms of safeguarding and stuff. That's really interesting. I didn't, I didn't even realise that was a thing. But it makes complete sense, especially with the the topics that you're tackling. That you would need to do something like that. But yeah, I didn't. Is is that a process that has to be done across the board? You know, or is that just something that you're keen to do with your books? sure how many other authors do it I think it's because I worked with young people for so long and about quite dark issues like mental health and sexual violence and stuff I've just had such thorough safeguarding training (laughs) you know it's it's like because obviously that's the backbone of you know working with vulnerable young people and so and once you've had that kind of very vigorous very depressing very terrifying training about what triggers somebody or you know you just don't want to harm anybody and so I think I sort of started saying to Osborne, my my publisher, kind of going, can we get somebody to check this? I was already, I'm always quite confident that things are safe because of the safeguarding training. So I know what to leave on page, what to leave off page, you know, like when descriptions would be dangerous, you know, all that sort of stuff. They've got somebody who I think works with us for a number of books now who does will sometimes be like, oh, have you considered this? Or sometimes if there's therapy in a book, they're really quite good at being like, oh, that's not actually how that the therapist wouldn't say that. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's something I take incredibly seriously and I'm really vigorous about, but I kind of, yeah, I try not to judge others, but things have got better then. Teen fiction wasn't a really bad place 10 years ago for safeguarding. It's definitely got a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, it's so important, especially with a book like this, that 
you can feel confident with your child or your well with your teenager reading it and knowing that you know they're in safe hands but they're going to learn about some pretty tricky topics but in you know a quite a safe space I feel like it's really important that teenagers nowadays have somewhere to go mm-hmm. where they can sort of be exposed to these things but in a really safe environment because you know a a lot of the other outlets that they have to learn about these things are not safe and are not safeguarded in any way exactly i i I do think that your people who work in children's publishing are quite earnest and very well-meaning and really care about young people and yeah and so a book and there's quite a lot of gatekeeping involved like a librarian wouldn't put a book in a school library if they you know thought it was really bad so it's yeah it is safe with that said because this book in particular dealt with porn culture, it was the most aggressive edits I've had in terms of what I could and couldn't say. Mm-hmm. And we had a two sensitivity readers as well. And it was it was fascinating just how people don't want to talk about pornography mm-hmm. and like porn culture and to children because if you're under the age of 18, you are legally a child. And it is really hard to be like, this is the most chaste wire book I think I've ever read. Like I've ever written even like barely anything happens. But because it was just even dealing with the pressure of porn, like it's very off page. They're still like, oh, we're not sure about this. To me, it was an important process to go through, but so frustrating because I'm like, they're watching it at 11, guys. Oh like, it, you know, by the time they're reading this book, they would have watched so much upsetting pornography like they need they need to talk about it they need space to talk about it and be allowed to be like what if this scares me what if i don't want to have sex like this you know what do i do with this pressure and it's so i had to kind of really fight for a lot of it and and again it's like i think something about that particular issue people just can't just don't want to think about porn and teenagers i get it i don't like to think about it either but it's just so important we talk about it and yeah in a book where if you're like oh this is a bit too heavy you can put it down and yeah i think just so much safer about a book i think they're just watching something and you're like oh i just saw something that's really upset me it's too late to take it away i feel like with a book you kind of can hurl it across the room (laughs) put it in the freezer put it in the freezer (laughs) (laughs) freezer Oh, what? What scares you? Yeah, yeah, Joey from Friends took it in the freezer and just forget about it. Never happened. Not bad. Put her in the freezer. It never happened. <laughs> it's the best way to deal with it. Bury your head in sand. <laughs> One of the things that I really love about this book is how much it's centered on beauty and the concept of beauty and the sort of power that can come with looking a certain way and. It brings to mind, like like you were talking about, the revelations in like the beauty myth and, you know, some of the latest kind of documentaries that I've been watching that are really fascinating on, on beauty itself. But it's a great premise. Why do you think that we still have this fascination with beauty and power? And despite there being like, our awareness is a bit better, I would say, or we're, we're a bit more aware nowadays of, you know, filters and makeup and what it can do to you. But yet we still aspire, a lot of people aspire to look a certain way and to, you know, there's so much societal pressure to be perfect. And I think I, I reread The Beauty Myth, um, which like for the first time since uni when I was um, studying this book when I was writing this book and researching it and it was so much has changed since I was a student so I'm 37 eight I don't know now <laughs> stop counting after a while 
And so I must have been reading that in 2005. And so obviously fourth wave feminism hadn't occurred in 2005. And my one of my adult novels, Girlfriends, was all to do is just like how fucked it was to be a young girl. <laughs> kind of age in the noughties where like Stan was Christmas number one. <laughs> you know, it's like a pregnant woman being murdered was like Christmas number one. Like what? <laughs> you know, we're all doing the special K diet. Like just, you know, this... And so, like, feminism has obviously come about again in its fourth way since then. And what really struck me when I was reading that book, and I, I know that book is not perfect and misses sorts of reading things about, like, race and intersectionality. And also Naomi Wolf is gone to, to, to a bad place with her views and, like, vaccines and stuff. But, like, the, the message said that, like, the more rights women get, the higher society, like, the more pressure on beauty will exist in its deliberate. Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting looking at how far I've come with my feminism since I first read that book, but also just how much higher beauty standards have gotten since this fourth wave. And it's it's so hard to talk about this without objectifying myself or objectifying others, because even commenting on a woman's appearance <laughs> and objectifying her, so it's a nightmare. But it's like... Feminists are all quite hot. Like, they are. <laughs> you just you look at the Women's March, you're like, everyone there is looks lumpy. <laughs> yes. People have got our red lipstick on and our skinny little arms sticking out of these like, <laughs> shirts. And when I remember as a student, on a night out, you would put on, like, eyeliner and a nice top and some jeans. And, you know, it, I think we only ever curled our hair for, like, the ball. You know, and now it's years heatless curlers every night in bed so you can wake up looking like you have a perfect blow dryer and it's fillers it's preventative botox it's filters as well it's have this red lip stain so you can wear it all day it's eyebrow you know microblazing like it used to be plucking and then it became waxing and it became the threading and now it's micro and it's just like in this and it's just like and now it's like these nails that you get done and you literally cannot get the nails taken off without also going back to the thing. And it just seems like the pressure, like we've had all this awareness and we're having some laws go in our favour. And yet we rarely see a raw human woman's face um, ever. I think all three of us were probably wearing a bit of makeup right now. Even though oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, and we're just three women, just it's, we just never see it and the standards just get higher. And I think the one thing that I really wanted to kind of take a bite out of and attack a bit in You Could Be So Pretty is it's being sold to us as choice and empowerment. Mm -hmm. And that just, I was like, you know, if we never see a normal woman's face, if we do it, it's quite jarring and everyone asks you if you're ill. It's not a choice, you know, to just go out without makeup because you feel weird and you feel it feels quite revolutionary and we've just completely normalized this this face even if it's like a makeup free look you're still wearing shed loads of makeup or have got like a really expensive skincare regime so it doesn't you know yeah there's always so much going on behind the scenes it costs you money it takes up a lot of time you know time and money that men don't need to use and spend and it's to make you feel crap about yourself when you look at the mirror and you see your raw face Naomi Wolf argued this is the point you know we've got to make women carrying on feeling like they're not as good as to be looking at somebody else another woman and be like oh she's really pretty oh and see her as a competitor rather than an ally and it's all there to just keep us down yeah. keep us in these really invisible small ways 
so that we don't fully get equality. And I think people think beauty is this really kind of shallow thing to discuss in feminism. And also we don't like to go there because we don't want to judge somebody else's choices. And, you know, it's like you're damned if you're too pretty to be a feminist and then you're too ugly for anyone to listen to. It's this nightmare. I do think it's really important to talk about it. Sorry, so that's really important. No, <laughs> no, no, it's fascinating. It's it's such an important topic. And, you know, me and Lydia have spoken so much whilst reading your book, but also, you know, outside of reading your book. You know, we've been friends for years now, me and Lydia, and, you know, we've spoken about how our body image has, has changed and evolved over the years. And I know certainly for Lydia, since, like, having children and stuff, it's changed for her. But we both come from... A, a big like you know when when are babies we come from like a very diet culture heavy yeah the inspiration yeah was, like the like the I was given I was given a Weight Watchers food diary at the age of nine like it's not and it's and that was by like my mom and my nana and and it was never you know it was never malicious it was it was they thought they were helping me and they thought that you know they were doing you know they they thought that you know they were encouraging me to eat better because that was the information that they were taking in and. And then, but then what does that do to my sense of self and my body image? And, you know, it all, it all sort of adds up. And so I think it's hugely important that we talk about these things and and question it. And you're so right. Like, you know, there's so many times where I don't want to turn up to work wearing makeup, but then, you know, I know that all the other women there uh, are going to have like really nice makeup done and they put a lot of effort into the way that they look and like that is n- absolutely no shade whatsoever on them but it's like I know that I'm not going to feel good about myself if I go in and see them with their makeup on and I've got none on like it's a whole it's a whole thing it's like you feel like you can never win and I think I've especially noticed it you know in the last I don't know how many months it's been but there's been like a rise with celebrities using um I don't know how you say the word is it Ozempic Ozempic the, yeah yeah is it the it's diabetic similar. uh diabetic injection and um you know you're seeing them you know that it's like another another yeah another thing that has become popularized is is this like essentially like another diet drug and it just feels like it is never-ending you know we're constantly being bombarded with these the way that we should look the way our body should look and it's just more 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 and you're feeling less 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 yeah, it's it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a lot. <laughs> it is. And yeah, it's it's this, I would say it's dystopic. Like what we've just described, like those pressures and the never endingness of it and how it makes you feel and how all the other people have bought into the culture, as you said at work, you know, it's like that's how a dystopia works. And it's all these people who are like, No, this is fine, this is fine and, and that's why I don't know how and why you free yourself and like part of the book isn't telling you what path to choose, but it's just to like wake up, like mm. wake up. Massive problem and it's it makes girls feel terrible about themselves and it uses up so much time and energy and money and you know, I think it is a distraction from like other, you know, feminist goals and it's just I just wanna see like raw faces you know like and that not to be a revolutionary thing like see just what women look like but it's just it's been changed yeah nobody yeah but like what women look like in girls look like is just this this tiny construction of perfect bits from eyelashes to cheekbones to nose size to eyebrow arch to lips to skin conditions her hair body it's just you know it's just this collection of all these things that parts of you that could be wrong that you need to work out so even if you've got like great brows you're like oh no but my teeth aren't white enough it's just always something where you will fail yeah 
hundred percent. And I'm I'm so grateful that you you write books like this and that you explore the topics that you do. I think you are like easily one of the most important like contemporary writers. And I'm you know I I really regret the fact that I've only read two of your books, but both of them have had such an impact on me. The the first that I read was is it the places that I've cried in public? Is that what it's called? Oh my, I, I wish that I had read that when I was younger because I cannot tell you, and, and I remember saying this to Lydia, I, my first relationship, and just a trigger warning to anybody, but my, my first relationship was an abusive relationship. And because it was my first relationship, I didn't understand that the way that he was treating me was wrong. And I didn't understand it until we were together for three years. And I didn't understand until even a couple of years after that, when I started kind of talking to people and they sort of sort of question like the things that I was coming out with and be like what like that happened to you like you did that no that's not like that's not normal like and then I started to question things and then remembering you know all the different things and and I remember reading your book I only read your that book I think it was in 2020 that I read that or 2021 anyway it was years and years many years after that relationship ended and I remember reading it and I had to like go and sit in the bath afterwards to like have a moment when I finished it because it moved me so much and I was like oh my god like that is gonna go into the hands of a young girl and she's gonna know straight away when she gets into something like that that they're not treating her right and I you know part of me wishes like that could have been me and I could have read something like that and it have had the impact but I feel really grateful that actually that book is reaching other listeners that would be in the same position that I was in and it's going to help them a lot sooner than than it helped me if that makes any sense whatsoever <laughs> basically I'm really grateful that you explore the topics that you do and I just wanted to let you know that thank you and I'm so sorry you went through that and well especially as you said if it was your first relationship you just don't think yeah in that book I made I had she had a good first boyfriend so she had that you yeah. know and control to be like hang on and yeah I can't imagine how much harder it is to leave a situation like that when you didn't have a the last person I was in love with didn't make me hate myself yeah um, <laughs> well do you, you know I didn't and so oh I'm so sorry you got went through that but yeah I I, I write the place that cried in public exactly to try and save maybe you you know yeah <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. stat to you whatever age you were and you have to try and yeah like educating people to what abuse really is because I think they think it's Something that happens to like a mum hiding her black eye on the way to the school run. You know, they yeah. think that's what abuse is. It's like this very like I don't know if you would know the context of like Mo and Trevor from Eastenders and stuff. Yes. It's, yeah. Oh, and it's like how emotional abuse is just as damaging, if not more damaging, than physical abuse and you know, all these sorts of stuff. So um yeah, no, I'm it's it's strange. I do write about really dark things, but then I always tell the stories of loads of jokes and are quite inactive. No, we, we always say that we need to have the light with the dark. So obviously just been speaking about how it feels very dystopian. And I wanted to speak about the the language that you use in the book, you know, specific vocabulary that, that you kind of curated, you know, with, with words and phrases such as uh, the ranking and masks and the objectionables the tryhards, you know, the list kind of goes on. But I'd love to know what the influences were behind creating this specific vocabulary for your book. I love that you asked that question because I'm so, like, proud of my vocabulary. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of, like, the things I'm most proud of in this book. And I think over my career was, like, getting that vocabulary right. And, yeah, it was, you know, to make it dystopic, we needed to reword things. And then hopefully people as they started to realise as they read the book, oh, maybe this isn't a dystopia, like, be like, oh, 
that word yeah you're right it is that as it were sort of so for like masks for you know a full face of makeup it is we do paint a face on the face, you know and and so it was coming up with each one and obviously there is quite a lot of you know if I was a glossary it would be quite long was like a real yeah how to get it right really working on it like started looking up things in latin like stuff I've never done <laughs> just to try and get it right and um I think there's like some of the words like we really struggled with what to call porn and that took a really long time to land on in the end like we called it smut and yeah, I quite liked invisibles for older women. It was like a thing you became an invisible. It's a 37 year old. I'm starting to be like, oh God. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm getting bumped into a lot more, especially since I became a mom. I just feel like I don't exist. So it was, yeah, the, the vocabulary was like the most difficult part because you didn't want anything to jar. You didn't want anything to be a bit too on the nose. You wanted it to kind of the vernacular to feel natural when people said it but yeah I think one of the ones I was also I didn't realize this until after I read it like after I was doing my edits that um they refer to like eating as sin and like and exercising I've got to like exercise off all, all my sin and stuff and that's because I was referencing the beauty myth a bit about how she talks about how beauty is like a religion now and like models for like the chosen ones and you know and how women are all trying to like glow which I found really interesting like we all use like you know ring lights now which I called halos and the book and you know we're all trying to like be otherworldly glowing in a stained glass window and stuff and yeah so I used sin and then somebody was like oh yeah you know like in um slimming worlds and I was like what and yeah somebody said in slimming world they in sins and I didn't know that um until after recently I was horrified I'm like how is this about to like literally put eating like you know new like food in your body that you need to live and like calling like comparing it to you know something ungodly Mm -hmm. it's foul and especially as like diets have been proven by science to like not work and if Slimming World worked, it wouldn't be a multi, multi, multi million, billion pounds industry where people were in it for years because literally it's just a way to make money out of vulnerable people who mm-hmm. that was like, that's when I had the rule like, God, this is really dystopia. This is you happening. People are calling food sin. Yeah. Just what is going on? Just no concept and understanding of eating disorders. Oh, it just made me so mad. But yeah, the vocabulary was a challenge and and when to drip it into the book and trying not to overload the reader of too much vocabulary too early on and how much do you trust the reader to understand what that means and all that sort of stuff that was one of the real challenges of, of writing it but really quite a fun challenge yeah I think it's it, I mean yeah I had a very similar reaction to you when I heard about sins being part of the uh, swimming world vocabulary because I just couldn't understand it. And I think I was in the kitchen once with a member of my family who was like, oh, do you know how many sins are in that? And I was like, oh, what? And just, and she knew to a T how many sins were in it, which meant, you know, I think it's like a certain amount of calories or you're allowed a certain amount of it then. But I, I was just absolutely perplexed. I just couldn't understand it. And I was like, that is so, so dangerous, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it puts you on a path of, of disordered eating completely. But so, they, yeah, they put, I, I remember that. They label certain fruits with sins, which blew my mind because it was like mm. certain fruits are deemed bad because they've got more sugar in them or they're like higher calories. So like mm. a banana or something like that. And, and I, that blew my mind because I'm like, it's literally like the most natural thing you could put into your body. And we're now 
saying that that's bad for you. Like, I don't understand. It's just all about shrinking us down, mm. isn't it? It's gross. Great. Well, I'm so screwed up. Mommy yeah. <laughs> It really is. And I found what I found quite interesting about, about what you were saying about the invisibles and stuff. That's one thing that I think you really tackle excellently in this novel is about the older women in the book and the kind of multi-generational approach you have to the book because the girls' mothers are very, very prominent figures in the narratives and they are completely different in a lot of ways and yet still I would say quite similar I would argue the case but what did you want the mothers in this book to kind of to represent or to you know to convey in the story it's weird because normally when you write teen fiction you just want the parents to get out of the way because they're in the way of a plot going you can't go out isn't it already you know you know so you're always like okay let's send the teenagers to camp or you know they're away for the weekend so that the plot can occur, you know, because parents, yeah, completely limit plot if you're, you know, writing like a romance or basis and stuff. Because this was about beauty, I was like, I have to talk about mother-daughter relationships. And also because how, you know, the that story that we see in media or in fairy tales and books about an older woman resenting a beauty or fair daughter or, or stepdaughter and how this woman is evil, you know, for wanting that, it's just like, makes total sense. <laughs> you want to just like poison someone. You know, she's taking all her power, you know, it's like... The other thing, again, like when I was rereading the beauty myth, she sort of said is like this fear of aging, like it's disgusting for a woman's age, you know, and, and they do sort of vanish and we start, we disregard older women because, um, you know, they've got, they've got wrinkles and, they, and it's a bit pathetic if you try to look young, but you'll completely vanish from the public eye if you don't try to look young. And she was like, that's completely deliberate. Because obviously, as you're a woman, the, the more you're in the world, the more you learn, the more experience you have, the more power you get in like in your job as you work up the career ladder. And so, of course, you don't want young women to be listening to them or to take them seriously. You want them to see them as like bitter and, you know, and to shudder. And what's really interesting about aging is none of us think it's coming for us. We <laughs> think we're never gonna get old, and it's it's coming. You know, like I used to be like a smug little twenty four year old. <laughs> like God, I used to worry about my friends. Was twenty four and look at the pictures now. I'm like, <laughs> and um, it's I really wanted to yeah put that in the mother daughter relationship and try and show like hopefully the younger readers like care about the mums in this book and and listen to them and and, and you know there's one mum who really is trying to not become an invisible and is getting all the cosmetic surgery or empowerment procedures as I call them in the book <laughs> you know and I think you completely understand why she does that and why she's struggling with her daughter's beauty in, in, in a kind of jealous and controlling way and, and then we've got another mother who's completely rejecting it and is trying to revolutionise it and she's just a joke and I think, yeah, the book's all about how any choice you make about beauty, whether or not you embrace it, whether or not you reject it, it comes with consequences. And and that's another reason why I feel like we're in a dystopia and the aging's just, it's just a scientific inevitability. And mm-hmm. 
like technology is getting better at making us not look old, but a lot of those creams are just selling you actual lies. Mm -hmm. Lies. Like, you know, I think retinol, there's something to it, but like you can never go out in the freaking sun. You want to burn? Fancy burning? <laughs> pretty and stay inside, older woman. Things you tell young women in the past. You want to actually burn? It's just—I'm joking. It's sort of true. It's um, true. And so, yeah, it's it's all to do with dividing the generations. And as someone who is inevitably aging, much to my despair, it was really interesting. I remember a year before I wrote the book, it was going like viral on TikTok to take the piss out of millennial women's beauty trends. And they started going, oh, do you have a side parting and do you wear your skinny jeans? And it was like starting to make that thing that we were the young, cool people dressing that way, you know. And I was like, oh, you're frumpy now. Oh, you're going to be ridiculed now. I was like, oh, God, it's beginning. And it was like, yeah, as I was hitting my mid-30s and starting to, you know, get higher up in my career. And so all the other women I know and, you know, becoming mothers, which makes you very radically feminine, <laughs> like becoming radical feminists, like becoming a mum. You're like, people really need to know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Freaking staffing crisis of the NHS and maternity ward. And it's like, oh, now I'm frumpy and young girls are taking the piss out of me and therefore aren't going to listen to me when I talk. And I'm feeling resentful of them and don't like them back. And it's dividing that generation about mm. something as skinny jeans. But it's yeah. powerful. So I was like, fuck you, Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, this is what, this is playing safe. This is, this is. <laughs> It's the thing. It's here for a reason and for quite a dark reason. So I was like, I'm going to wear my skinny jeans and my side batting. <laughs> Not let you ridicule me. I've got stuff to tell you. I'm going to write you a teenage book and you're going to like it. <laughs> what a great plan. Honestly. <laughs> love Revenge. <laughs> I, I really want to talk about the perspectives that this um, book is told from. And we've we've kind of touched on them, but it's uh, Joni and Belle. And... I thought Joni was such a, a special character and she has a special place in my heart. You know, she's defying the societal expectations at, at such a young age and it means that her school life is then inevitably made incredibly difficult. But her, I felt like her strength throughout was undeniable and, you know, as we've just been talking about their mothers, you know, her mothers clearly had a really positive impact on her in many ways. But then on the other hand, we have Belle, who is sort of a, a product of her environment. And, you know, underneath the surface, she's she's clearly struggling with, with it all. What was it like building those two different characters from completely different worlds and, you know, and telling the story from their sort of alternating perspectives? Yeah, it was really fun. It was like my first real dual narrative novel and... um. I think it was so important to come at it from both angles, from somebody who I don't think the book would have worked if it was just Joni in this dystopian world trying to change things, you know, like Katniss Everdeen or, or something. Like, I think it was really important. There are so many benefits to looking pretty and to trying hard to look in pretty, you know. And I, so I wanted the character of Belle to, you know, to show that and to show what she loses as she gets to know Joni and starts wanting to maybe not follow this and so I kind of and I wanted them to learn from each other because I think one of the real big problems with talking about beauty is to judge women who don't wear makeup or who think that you're judging you because you do wear makeup and again it's that dividing us rather than uniting us 
Yeah. And what I really, really aimed for for the book and hope I pulled off was to there's no judgment as any of the characters' decisions. Like, or and I don't think I'm hoping nobody comes out reading the book going, well, I obviously can't wear makeup ever again. Otherwise, Holly Bourne's going to think I'm a crap feminist. Like, I think I'm just trying to highlight the web that we're all stuck in. Yeah. yeah and so it was. I like. I loved watching Belle like wake up and have her awakening. But I also like loved Joni having stuff to learn from Belle as well. When I don't think it would have occurred to her that this person might be able to change her mind. And I think um, also like the other like strange positives that come from beauty was like um, yeah, Joni works like a I call it like the refuge for discarded women. You know, so like a refuge center, and how much it meant to the women in that shelter to like be pampered and you know to like get their makeup done and how they're all fighting for the beauty products and and how Joni was I was like what are you gonna do Joni told them the bad feminists you know these women who actually feel that they're being brought back to themselves because there is so much about beauty you know if you've got having to have chemotherapy you lose all your hair but you know you get managed to get like you know tattooed makeup put back on and wig that makes you feel great like is that bad for me you know like how dare I say that and it's just so it's it's to show yeah I I loved writing the two of them to show that there's so much to learn from each other and it's all to do with like how do we unite and try and unstick this mess without judgment um, without telling people what to do yeah absolutely and I loved the way that they navigated conversations together because it's just it's such a brilliant way of I think of showcasing how to talk to someone who is the polar opposite of you in many ways they don't always get it right but you see them start to understand how to speak to each other how to be like okay I'm not gonna shout and scream at you and tell you that you, you are wrong I just need you to explain because I, I need clarification about why you feel that way or why you've made this decision and it, their conversations were just absolutely fab like I really loved them I, I couldn't listen to them talk all day <laughs> I would like to just say um, a big thank you to you alongside what Hannah has already said today, which is just this is a book that we are so grateful to have read and also a book that I will be putting straight into my daughter's hands as soon as she is old enough to understand it because it's so, so important. And just thank you for that. And thank you for coming on the podcast because we do appreciate it. You can make me cry, Darren. <laughs> so okay you can be emotional we cry all the time (laughs) what um can i just ask before we let you go like what if you could choose anything what would you like readers to take away from from your book just to realize like for the the web we're in to realize it is real it's there for a reason Mm -hmm. and to wake up to that sort of how bella wakes up in the book it's just to so that you know the next time you see a heavily filtered picture or the next time you're putting on makeup to go to work or all this sort of stuff you've just got some sort of wider context of like the giant sort of conspiracies that are going on to make women feel that they have to do this because it often feel like it's sort of like waking up from the matrix and it doesn't mean you initially have to make any changes but I do think the more you're aware of it the, the braver you get and the more you start seeing it everywhere Mm-hmm. And um, I am just hoping it gets people to just realise that there's just a lot of. Am I allowed to swear? We're not going for it. Okay, we should never know with a teen, but like, it's just a lot of bullshit in the concept yeah. of choice feminism. It's just so a lot. And like, 
obviously choices are amazing. We want to fight for women to have choices, but it's just like the fact that we just can't critique these wider power structures and inequalities and capitalist agendas that are making women feel fucking shit about themselves. And like they have, like you said, you feel like you have no choice but to go to your place of employment where your brain is what matters. Like, but do you have to look a certain way because everyone else is pretending that their face looks a certain way? You know, it's just like, it's just calling it, it's just kind of like, this isn't empowerment and we don't really have choice. And that's why we're all doing it. And yeah, I'm just kind of calling bullshit on that, even if some area of the internet gets mad at me because I just, it's, it's just pissed me off for a long time. No. <laughs> Let them be mad. Let them be mad. Honestly, wake up and smell the bullshit, people. Yeah, still. <laughs> you don't need your own blood injected back into your face. Like, no, no, let's not do. That. Oh, um, before we we let you leave, we always like to end on recommendations. So I would love to get some from you if you have anything that you've been enjoying recently that you want to rave about. Please tell us. I'm gonna um, a book I would recommend reading that really helped me write this book was Girls and Sex by Peggy Orenstein, which is a book all about yeah the sexual expectations on young girls. She does like really detailed interviews with young girls um, in America, but it translates really well and it's amazing. It's not a happy read, but it is yeah. If you want to kind of understand hookup culture, porn culture, why girls just keep having bad sex with men they don't like very much, like it's it really explains it and contextualizes it in a really good way. So yeah, I would a dystopia a really good YA dystopia about beauty is only ever yours by Louise O'Neill, which is quite harrowing. <laughs> but um, I think it won the YA book prize the first year that the YA book prize exists. So I'd like if you want to go down the dystopic dystopic YA route for beauty, that's a really good one. I'm trying to think and yeah i just was a fan of i'm a fan <laughs> well, those are excellent recommendations so amazing thank you so much and where can our listeners find you if they would like to see more from you you know on social media have you got a website i am like a millennial mainly on instagram yeah i can't quite cope with twitter being x now no. um, oh. i don't think anyone's on it much which is no. <laughs> better world and and sometimes my publishers make me do TikTok, but I feel dead inside and sick, <laughs> sick when I post it and cringe at myself. So like, if you want to just love that. my worst nightmare realize, go on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Ate my life. There is, there is a reason. There is a reason why Hannah runs our TikTok and I do not, and that's because I also lose part of my soul every time I go on it. <laughs> Like that video, video. I've like managed just about cope with like the fact that sometimes I have to put like a salty up of me like holding my book. Like <laughs> um, But like video, just is. And he puts all this effort. And, like, like the algorithm makes no sense. He's like yeah. spent like an hour trying to like work out how to make an edit that doesn't look like a clunky old woman made it. Um, <laughs> not really pleased with it, and it gets like two hundred views. I'm like, oh, yeah. don't. It drives me up the wall. About, with humiliation, yeah. nothing now. Everyone can see how little people care about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Then my no. publisher just came and filmed me, and I'm like, "What's this dude for?" And I'm like, "Please, God, do." Um, <laughs> yeah, Instagram is where I'm. I'm chattier and stuff. Although I can't reply to 
DMs, I'm sadly, because of the same. Again, safeguarding. I will include links to all of that in the show notes. Uh, oh especially. <laughs> okay, no, you think talk. Let's snitch it out. Thank find you. Out for themselves. <laughs> Listen, Holly, if I have to do it, you have to do it. <laughs> Um, Holly, thank you so much for coming on A Pair of Bookends. It's been an absolute joy chatting to you and putting the world to rights over an evening. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for writing this book. Oh, thank you. It was um, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. I had a great time talking about really depressing stuff with you, weirdly. (laughs) And yet we laugh. Yes, and yet we laugh. (laughs) You know you laugh. For our listeners, um, I will be popping a link in the show notes to You Could Be So Pretty. I've closed my book, so now I can't remember what date it's out. There we go. You Could Be So Pretty, the 28th of September, and is published by Usborne. So you can buy that for yourselves, and I highly recommend that you do. And I will also pop a link in the show notes to The Places I've Cried in Public, which I referenced earlier, which is also an amazing book of Holly's. So... That is all from us. Um, if you want to give us a follow also, you can do so at a pair of bookends pod on Instagram and at a pair of bookends on Twitter and TikTok. And thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.